Welcome to Shout the Music's Spotlight Podcast. My name is Bob Haberset. I'm a music teacher and co-founder of ShoutTheMusic.com. Uh, on this podcast, we're going to talk to different people in the music sphere. Musicians, teachers, audio engineers, developers, entrepreneurs, and just anybody else in the music business. So this is the first episode of the podcast. I want to talk about three things that I try to include in my daily life uh, that I also want to include in this podcast. The first thing is I want to have fun. It's super easy to take work and life too seriously. Um, and I, I find that, you know, if you're bogged down by all the, the minutiae of everything you do, um, there, there's not a lot of joy in what you do, especially for musicians. So, you know, we say, I'm going to go play music. The operative word there is play. And sometimes people, instead of playing music, they, they work music or they're like enduring music. Um, so the first thing I want to do in every podcast and in every day is to have fun. And the second thing I want to do in every day uh, is to learn something, not just from reading books, but by keeping the light on. I want to enter every situation knowing that I could be proven wrong at any time. And I want to be open to you know, new ideas, to give myself more perspective, and just to see things deeper and then see how everything is related. And the last thing I want to do in every day and in this podcast is to make something. I need to exercise that that creative part of me, the flow state. It could be something like, you know, writing a piece of music or writing an article, um, or it could be something, you know, to do with my hands, like finally hanging up, you know, my closet door. I'm gonna do that in every podcast too. So the music you're listening to right now is music that was made at the end of this podcast. I haven't heard it yet. I'm sure it sounds good. This is like some time machine action right now. Um, so we're going to make something in every podcast. Our first guest is Eric Howe. Eric is an award-winning producer, DJ, entrepreneur, and educator. Uh, he's DJed or programmed for Madonna, Michael Jackson, Rihanna, uh, just to name a few. In 2003, he placed first in the U.S. and second in the world for the DMC DJ Championships. Eric started his own music school called Mix Major in Herndon, Virginia, where he teaches kids, teens, and adults to learn how to create their own music using digital music technology. Thanks, Eric, so much for coming to the first episode of, uh, of this podcast. Great to be here. In, in the vein of keeping everything lighthearted, um, I'm going to start with just like kind of a lighthearted question. I got this from my boss at work. Um, so if you were to go to a, a store, let's say Target or like RIP Toys R Us or something, and you're going to go down the action figure aisle um, and you were to find the Eric Howe action figure. Oh, man. What accessories would be in the box? So, like, if you get a, if you get like a Ben Kenobi, like an Obi Wan Kenobi action figure, you know, there's a blue lightsaber. You have the plasticated, um, you know, cape thing. Uh, but what would be the accessory in the Eric Howe box? Oh my gosh! Wow, wow, that's a good one. Um, you know, I'd have to say, uh, you know, what I was gonna say actually, if I was gonna be an action figure. I would probably be my favorite set of action figures or category of action figures when I was younger. And uh, that would be a transformer, okay? So what that means is that I actually wouldn't need any accessories because I could just transform into whatever it is, the thing that I need to do. And I could be human, or I'm sorry, not human. I would be like in human pet, you know, what do you call it, a bipedal form, <laughs> two legs and everything with the robot and then transform into you know, I would probably be Soundwave. I would be Soundwave. That's it. Sound, okay, so if you don't know what 
if you don't know what sound who Soundwave is in the Transformer uh, canon, uh, he was the um, he was the cassette player <laughs> that uh, he transformed into cassette player. He had an awesome voice, and then like me, and then um, he had cassette tapes that would his chest would open, cassette tapes would fly out, and they would turn into like little do- like dogs that would s- attack you know the the his his enemies, the Autobots. So. I'm sorry. That's me. I would be Soundwave with at least three cassettes in my chest. Somehow he had just a, a, a an enormous. Uh, what do you call it? A they they. I don't know how they all fit because they they were all in there. And it would like it would open and he'd be like, and then like they would fly out and then the dogs would be like that and then they turn back into cassettes, go back in his chest. So that's it. Soundwave. That's me. Oh my yeah. gosh, Soundwave! It took me, it took me forever to find my answer, and it took you a second, and it was like the best answer <laughs> I've ever heard. Mine, mine would be, um, I would have like kind of a like a, a grimace, and I would have a sack of dongles and adapters. <laughs> it would just be like adapter, Mister Habersat. You must have a lot of those. <laughs> oh my gosh, you have no idea. Like I feel like I can attack, I can attack pretty much any technical situation and and do a lot of problem solving and troubleshooting and and creative solutions to problems but right now in 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 this world it would be with like at least two dongles yeah. and maybe five adapters like the key master Goodness. in uh, in the matrix but with uh, dongles just dongles on dongles on dongles you know the dongle ma- you could say you're the dongle master <laughs> that would be it it would be the dongle master done perfect Put, write that down that's what do you what do you listen what are you listening to right now oh man oh gosh uh it depends on what i'm doing at the time so if i'm running actually no i guess a lot of the times it's the same it it, it doesn't really matter but uh it's i i like to listen to a lot of new music like meaning i love listening to uh, you know throwbacks from childhood you know what i mean but for the most part when i'm actually actively listening to music i'm listening uh not just for entertainment but i'm also listening to see what is what people are what other people are listening to that's sort of hot right now um which is something you do as a dj but also i just like to do that you know what i mean so i went for a run earlier today what was i listening to um i was listening to some stuff off the spotify let's see the trap mojito uh playlist i listened a little bit of that and then i listened to uh some some bass house all right so i've been getting to a lot of bass house uh lately so listening to some of that while i'm running um but yeah, yeah, I like I like uh, not just listening for fun, uh, listening for function, getting energy from the music, but also dissecting the the music too to figure out what's in there, so I can start making some of that or teach it. So I feel like I'm knocking like three birds out with one stone. Dig, three birds. Dig. Yeah, and those three cassette tapes. Those Spotify playlists. Three cassette three tapes. Ca- oh wow, it's circles. those spotify playlists are amazing like the new releases radar for me has really helped like oh my gosh i'll check out this new track i and and it's great that you mentioned that by the way that is one of my favorite that's also uh, that's also one of my favorite playlists because and here's the funny thing i didn't know i'd always seen the release radar somewhere when i'm opening it but i i when i listened to it i wouldn't really explore it too much and a buddy of mine was like you know that release radar is like just for you. I go, what do you mean? He's like, well, you just, whatever you like, like it curates it for you. I go, oh my gosh, Spotify is a DJ. And I'm like, let me check this out. So I'm listening to it going, I, I listen to one song. I go, mm, kind of like that. And then I listen to the next song. I'm like, hey, I like that too. And then next thing you know, it's like, man, it's like a lot of those songs, 
a lot of the songs on 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 the release radar like I like them, and it makes sense. And it's like oh man, like Spotify's pretty good DJ man, pretty good curator. So very cool. Yeah, we're being replaced by algorithms. Yeah. So you were talking about like not listening to like all the time listening to like nostalgic music like music from your childhood um this is the strangest transition ever but you know i think that you feel music so hard when you're in junior high and like in high school like i think i i was more emotive listening to music when i was at that age Mm -hmm. um and my only idea of a dj during that time was like Limp Biscuit and Linkin Park, just seeing like DJs in the background, yeah. just like with one with one hand on a headset and just like scratch. I don't. I honestly don't know. Really, this is this is like this is pretty bad. I don't know what a DJ does. Okay. Like, can you? Like, I don't think a lot of people know what a modern DJ does. Besides for like the guy in the back of the incubus music video like that okay that's djing but what does a dj do yeah and it's interesting that you brought that up because the 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 function of a dj in a band is much different than a dj in a nightclub which is different than a function or sort of different than the function of a dj maybe at like a wedding or you know some other uh private event you know what i mean um and then the function of a dj it really does change but in general right when you're talking about um Lincoln Park, by the way, I love Lincoln Park. I wasn't never the huge huge fan of Limp Bizkit, but Lincoln Park is one of my favorite bands ever. Um, I have a, I have a Johan story, by the way. That's the DJ from Lincoln Park. If we have time, we could talk about that later. But uh, but DJs and bands really are um, are are more like turntablists. So turntablism is where you use the turntables like instruments. Like you can because you can touch the the record you're actually touching the music you know what i mean so you're controlling the music with your hands so if you can do things rhythmically with your hand whether that be pushing pulling pushing and pulling pushing a little bit and then a little bit and then back and back or like combining that with things that you can do with this uh the the faders which cut sound on and off you can create rhythms and sounds uh uh depending on what the sort of sounds are loaded onto your computer at the time so you can turn this into an instrument and that's what most of the DJs do uh that are performing something like Incubus or or or, or Linkin Park or Limp Bizkit right um but in general what DJs do is they play music for crowds and make them dance that's basically it okay and you would think of it as kind of like okay Seems easy enough. Like some some people might not think that right off the bat, but um, but it, what what it's really what it really comes down to, in my opinion, um, which is what I really love about it, is <clears throat> when you're DJing, you are really getting emotion. You know what I mean? You're you're what you're you're doing is you're getting emotion out of the listener. You know what I mean? And you're controlling that, so you're sort of uh, inciting emotion to uh, inspire the action the action is usually to have people dance, right? Sometimes if you're in a situation where you're DJing, you don't want people to dance. It might not be that type of thing. It might be a vibe that you're trying to set for people to just kind of hang out to uh, mingle. You know what I mean? You're setting the soundtrack. So basically what you're doing is you're using um, uh, songs to uh, to be the soundtrack for the night or the daytime to um, elicit an emotional response from whoever's listening. Right. So what happens is what is what has happened over like the last, I don't know, it's 2000, about 10 years or so when something called EDM became a thing like EDM never was a term before 2009 ish. 
like uh, that's electronic dance music, right? What happened was um, these DJs uh, or there really were producers that be that needed an avenue to play their music for crowds, okay? But they weren't a lot of them weren't really actually DJs. Imagine somebody that's really good at producing music, but has never touched a, a set of turntables or CDJs or any type of DJ equipment and had never really played uh, in front of a, a an audience, uh, you know, with other people's music, right? That is a different type of DJ. I don't even call that really DJing. I just call it performing, I guess, or sort of like you're doing something else, but you're not necessarily DJing unless you are um, reading a crowd and uh, unless you, it is a two-way street, okay? So if, a, if, if there's somebody that goes up uh, at a festival or it doesn't matter where it is, it could be in a nightclub, at a party, if they are playing uh, a, a certain set of songs and it doesn't matter what the crowd is doing, and they're still going to play those same set of songs, that's not really DJing. You know what I mean? Because you're not uh, reading the audience and you're not engaging with them in a way that it's more of a dance versus, you know, you lead, I lead versus just I'm going to lead the entire time. You know what I'm saying? So it really is just, a. it really is, for me, it really comes down to, yeah, you need technical ability to like string music together to, so that it sounds interesting and it doesn't sound like a train wreck. But um, what the biggest skill that a DJ has, a real DJ, is to be able to uh, predict what people want to hear in a given moment, play it, and then adapt in the moment to whatever it is that is working or it's not working. You see what I'm saying? And then by doing that, uh, a good DJ keeps the entire uh, audience or as much of it as possible engaged. That's so interesting um, because... You know, as a music teacher, that's kind of what I do every day. When I look into the classroom, I'm trying to gauge everyone's, you know, engagement. Like I'm, I'm looking to the left and I'm seeing that this kid's kind of checked out. So I need to, to reach that person to bring them back in. And I look over to the right and I see that it might be over that person's head. So I need to just put in that one little nugget that one little clue in what I'm about to say it's it's thinking ahead right um and so that I can keep everyone in there I used to I used to DJ I'm doing air quotes right now I used to DJ like weddings and events but like I just had but there there were times when you know I'd play a song and you would see it the whole dance floor would just retreat retreat yeah, and it's it's like one of the worst feelings. Um, it, you, that happens all the time when you're teaching, but um, the repercussion of you doing that is like, all right, well, I'll just say something different for the next class. But when it's when it's a, a group of people that are there to dance and there to have a good time, and you're getting paid just for that one thing, it's a whole different uh, a whole different game. It's it just a whole different feeling. So that kind of kind of brings me to my next question: Is you are now a music educator? And you've taken a very different path to music teaching. Um, so, like, for me, you know, I wanted to be a music teacher when I was in high school. And I, you know, I, wa I was in the marching band. And then I got into uh, music education school for my undergrad. And I did student teaching. And then I became a music teacher with all of the, the dogma and all of the philosophies. I was standing on the shoulders of music education giants. But you got there from a totally different on a totally different path. Um, could you describe that path and then maybe talk a little bit about like how, 
you look at it differently. You might not even know that you look at it differently because you don't know this other, yeah, <laughs> all these other music teachers. You know, can you just describe the path? Absolutely. Then? So, um, what we have in common is that we started off as musicians, right? That's what I think I have in common uh, with a lot of the stories of music educators. So, I started when I was seven years old playing. I tried to start it. No, I'm sorry. My parents tried to start me on piano when I was five years old, and apparently I wasn't really having it. So I didn't pay attention. But I came back to them two years later, a mature seven-year-old, and said, you know, I'd like to take piano lessons again, right? So um, that's when I got, I guess you'd say serious about it. But um, I started off with piano. And that, uh, that for me, really honestly, I feel like learning piano, starting piano at seven years old has been the key to almost everything good in my life. <laughs> if I think about it, I'm like, all right, what did I learn from being a musician? You know what I mean? Or learning about, what, what did I learn in life about um, getting in front of people at a recital, like 30 people in a room at my, uh, my uh, piano teacher's house, you know, at a stand, at at a, at an upright uh, piano, trying to play a piece, really, really nervous, and then there's like a mirror on the wall. So it's not like my back is to the audience, and then I sit down, and there's a just mirror. You know what I mean behind. Oh. So it's like it may as well be me facing out to them. So wh- how did I handle that? How what did I learn about life by just by having to perform in front of people? Um, uh, what did I learn about life like just by uh, thinking about things? just differently as a, as a musician would, right? And this is stuff I had no idea at the time that was being that was beneficial to me in this way. I just like to play, you know what I mean? I like to play and I like to play the songs that I was listening to at the time, right? So piano was a huge part of my life. Martial arts was a big part of my life back then too for the same amount of time. Um, so I, I trained from seven years old to 18 years old, both in piano and, well, actually even longer with, with piano. Um, but... Uh, right around 16 is when I became I became a DJ, actually. So this is almost 30 years ago, 29 years ago, where I I um, asked my parents for a loan. You know, like, I had no money, but I, <laughs> I had this idea after seeing other DJs play, being kind of fascinated by music being mixed very smoothly. Like, why does it sound like one long song? Like, anybody that's heard a DJ play before a good one, might have thought that at one point who's never been in front of a DJ or seen one might think, Oh, is this the same song? Um, but anyway, like the art, the art of mixing was always very, uh, really cool to me. So I wanted to learn that and just a few different things happened. And I, I convinced my parents after about six months of pitching them, uh, with a semi business plan <laughs> that I could pay them back for the loan, you know, get these gigs in high school and pay them back half of what I made, take half of what i my half and then reinvest that and then just keep the quarter for myself. You know what I mean? Like I did this whole thing and it for a bit, took about six, they said no, obviously at first. And then after a while they, 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 they said, okay. Right. Um, they gave me the loan. I was 16. I started doing gigs. Um, you know, and this is at uh, TJ. So I, I went to TJ, which is like the, it might still be the number one high school in the country, but at the time it was, you know, and it's always somewhere near the top. It's a, it's a magnet school. Um, so I wasn't a typical TJ guy but i was here i am djing um and that all came stemmed from uh my background as a musician right but after that i went to uva i got a degree in business in in at uva so i'm doing undergrad business 
I'm doing, uh, I did theater in, in, co- in college as well at UVA. And it, my life was either uh, business school, theater, or DJing. Many times those things would like, it would go for like business school from Monday through Friday during the day, rehearsals at night, you know, like, and then, so I would go do my homework, go to rehearsals at night. There might be a show like uh, at eight o'clock on a Friday and Saturday. So I'd perform as an actor. Then I would go home, get my gear from my, um, my apartment, load it up into the car and then do like fraternity parties. And I would do this uh, like for the last, uh, especially for the last two years of college, but like did it all through college, kept DJing and got, got better at it um, while getting a business degree and also doing a lot of theater. So after that, after I had, this is a very interesting story. When after, after I graduated from college, I did what any business uh, grad or business school student would do, and that is become an actor and, and do. <laughs> right. And oh, yeah, like all of them, like all of us, we all just became actors. Anyway, I really was fascinated with, with, with acting and theater. So I had this choice. I was like, well, can I do the regular route or can I do this thing where I travel up and down the East Coast? Uh, with a Shakespeare company playing at uh, like elementary, middle, high school, and uh, college uh, venues. <clears throat> Talked my mom about it. She's like, "Hey, man, go for it if you if you want <laughs> if you want to do it." Now's the time. So I did that. I did that. I hustle. Yeah, yeah, I did that. I saw it. So I did that. I kept DJing. I still kept well whenever I could on that tour. Um, <clears throat> but I did that, and I I wanted. I felt like I wanted to be an actor for like <clears throat> two years after college. Realized that was not going to happen for me anyway. So. Um, I realized after about two years of doing that, like theater in DC, commercial work, stuff like that. I did some on-camera stuff. Um, I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. But I kept DJing, kept DJing, kept DJing. I was able to get into like the real, quote unquote, real world. And um, I became a network engineer. (laughs) Obviously, you become a network engineer after you're an actor. I became a network engineer (laughs) at... um, <clears throat> at uh, at UUNet, which then became part of MCI WorldCom during the tech boom, and I was there through until the tech bust. Right, so we all hope anybody can think back to that time where the bubble burst. <clears throat> so there's a time where here I am uh, working my regular network engineer job, still DJing on weekends, entering DJ battles. I became fascinated with turntablism, and then just winning the DJ battle, <laughs> like the big one in 2003 placing second in the world. And then and then I had this decision. I was like, you know what? They're, they were asking people uh, if they wanted to be laid off at, at, at MCI WorldCom. And I didn't know what that really, the implications were right away. And I was like, wait a minute. If they're asking for people for layoffs, they're going to pay you to quit, right? And I was like, well, I was thinking, of, you know, I was already thinking at the time, maybe I do full-time music, right? This is 2004, right? So I had been DJing for 13 years already at that point. And I was like, oh, maybe now this is, that's the first time I'd ever thought about making a, a career in music at all. Like first time, 2004. I was like, all right, talk to my mom again. She's like, do the math. You know, can you, can you, can you, how long can you survive? Did the math. I was like, oh, I could survive for about a year and a half. And then she's like, all right. You have very supportive and understanding they, parents. Awesome. My parents have always been supportive. <laughs> you know, and you think of like typical Asian parents like that may, sort of want you to do a certain set of things. You know what I'm saying? I don't know, you might know, but it, there, there is that sort of stereotype. And there's some truth to that. I mean, my parents have always been supportive of all the in- interesting decisions that I made, right? But I did it. So I said, oh, you know what? I'm going to be my own. I'm, I'm just going to go on my own. I want to be a DJ full-time. So I just, that's, my DJing became my full-time thing. 2004, 16 years ago, right? And since then, I've been my own boss. So what happened was, what happened was, what happened was, um, I ended up 
I ended up becoming uh, Madonna's DJ in 2008. So I quit my day job 2004. By 2008, I'm touring the world uh, with Madonna for 2008 and 2009. And that boosted my DJ uh, clout. So I started working solo. I mean, I was solo anyway, but I started touring on my own for about eight years after the Madonna tour, right? I'm almost there, by the way, at the music education part. <laughs> so... <laughs> You know, typical route. Um, but uh, as I was touring, I was touring like, you know, for you know 40 to 45 weekends out of the year, I would be out of town in two or three cities each each weekend, right? That was a normal thing. I would come back on a Sunday night or a Monday night, be home with my family for a little bit, leave on a Friday or a Sunday or a Thursday or, or a Saturday. And this happened for about eight years. And at a certain point, I had this, I had this really, I had two really awesome experiences. One of them was, was uh and with education right one of them was um a gig where they brought me in not just to play their uh their party it was a college gig up in uh, maine it's at bates college they also wanted me to teach a workshop right so and it could be whatever whatever i wanted to so the booking agent suggested that i do um a workshop where i created a song with the students and then i could play it was i give the credit to him great idea and then i could play that song for them that they made at the gig later that night. I was like, that's a brilliant idea, right? End up changing my life, right? I did that with those students, about 25 students, college students. I had my rig similar to, like, had this here, a couple of other things, but um, we were able to make and record in the room, right? Um, you can hear the little metronome, the tick, tick, the, the, uh, the, the Ableton metronome, because I didn't have a, a separate set of headphones for them when they're recording vocals, but also, you know, the beats, chords everything and i was like man play that gig or i played the, the song for them at the gig the kids the uh, kids the college students loved it right and it was awesome i went to my wife i'm like man this is that was really cool i want to do more of that i want to do more like i like teaching <laughs> you know what i mean like that that made me really realize that i really liked the, the te teaching and i was like man i wish i could do more of that then not too long after that here in this room my daughter she's five years old at the time and her good friend is eight years old at the time. Um, they want. I asked them. I was like, "Hey, you can make a song with me in this room whenever you want. Just come in. We'll make a song." And I and and I'm usually in my my room here. They knocked on the door one day. Now it's a five year old and an eight year old sitting with me. I'm like, "Let's make a song, right?" Similar to what I did with the Bates College kids, right? But this time it was like Disney type music because that's what they were into at the time. So it like Frozen was like the big movie at the time. Let it go, baby. Let it go. Let it go. Right? So we listened to Let It Go. <laughs> it's still big. It's still big. It hits so hard. And um, the, when the, <laughs> when those bells come in, um, but when, um, but yeah, but we listened to the music and it, it was just, it was just sort of this natural thing where I was like, oh yeah. So, so I was, uh, you know, this, this is what, what are we listening to right now? They were listening to like the different sounds and identifying what they were hearing. They were hearing vocals. They were hearing piano. And that was it. That's all it is at the very beginning of the song. Then they're listening to more and they say, oh, wait, there's other elements happening here. I say, okay, well, we're going to do something like that. Then they were, they were writing, sort of writing melodies. Like they would sing a melody, like, and I would uh, transcribe it into Ableton. And then we would build on that, you know, and then they would tap these pads here and then they would be like, boom. And they would hit like a kick drum. Bill. Oh, that's really, that's really, they could feel it. I go, yeah, hit that again. They, this is the five and eight year olds, right? They're hitting it and they go, boom, boom, boom. I go, okay, does that feel like a lower sound or a higher pitch sound to you? They're like, I think it's lower. And then they'd hit the cymbals 
and then it would be like ting 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 ting, and they're like, oh yeah, th- those are the high pitch sounds. These are the low pitch sounds. Like, oh my god, this like you know, it just felt awesome. We made a song on the spot, and after it was done, I was like, I went to my wife. <laughs> I was like, dude, this is I I want to teach kids, and she's like, yeah, like uh like high school kids. I'm like, yeah, I mean like you know high school kids too. But like kids, like children. She's like, what do you, what do you mean? Like how young? I'm like, you know, Emma's a, she's five. She's in kindergarten. Let's start a kindergarten. She's like, what are you talking about? I go, kindergarten. I want to start a kindergarten. She's like, okay. So I set up a, uh, an after school program at my daughter's school. And that was the beginning of, uh, of mixed major. So it was an after school program where it was just me and a, and a bunch of kids. And then we would make music together. You know what I mean? There wasn't like a laptop for each student yet. You know what I mean? Um, but that's how it started. And then I just, I, I fell in love with, uh, with being able to teach kids just how to make music that sounds like, if you listen to some of the stuff that we made, like I'm talking about, like some of you might be surprised, sounds pretty official. You know what I mean? Like making it sound pro, yeah. you know what I mean? Um, anyway, but that was my, th- th- my path was into mixed major was that way. And then it just it it sort of kind of took off. I started to do more schools. I started to do more uh, uh, different 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 uh, types of programs. Sometimes I'd teach in schools, and then you know I I bought laptops. I was like, well, I think I can buy these laptops now. Like so, I bought like ten MacBook Pros. So I would use those during my summer camps or you know uh, after school programs, and I was able to pay those off. And then I was like, you know, if I ever open my own school, I would just use those laptops as the computers. You know what I mean? Like it would just go underneath the shelf. I just imagined it already. And and when I opened my own school, uh, 2018, just a classroom, one classroom uh, with 10 workstations, it looks exactly like what I pictured it. You know what I mean? Like if I were ever to open my own place, I would put the laptops underneath. Every workstation would have like a little keyboard, big screen, and you know what I mean? Anyway, uh, you probably have to stop me because I can just literally go on all day about it. But like... No, I, I think that's... It's so cool. Like the... I think it would we talk about like, you know, the, the light bulb going off, like when you see somebody get it and then when they go to make something with the skills and the understanding that you gave them, and then they feel the feeling that you get when, when you play music at a high level, but their high level is, you know, totally different for them. Like that, that's the thing that makes me feel amazing about teaching. Mm -hmm. And it's just so cool that you were able to see that in, in that room with yep. Emma and her friend and then just, you know, slamming some let it go esque, you know, beats. That's that's so cool. Thank you. Yeah, um so life changing. It seems like in that in that I was talking to my students today about this this concept of a catalyzing experience. So if you're looking at, you know, your if you were to like plot out on a graph, like your um like how good you are at something, whether it's like you know, basketball or calligraphy or being a musician, you know, uh, over time, it's not like a, a purely linear mm-hmm. thing. It's not like you're just going to get this much better. You know, if you put in the same amount of effort, you're not going to get like two units better every day. Yeah. Um, sometimes you plateau, sometimes um, you just jump uh, in your ability. And, and I, I found that there are these like catalyzing experiences that that you have as uh an artist or as you know a person that's learning something where you jump you do like a quanta state Mm. you just jump from 
you know, one level to the next. Like for me, as like I wanted to be a jazz guitar player later in my um, uh, college career, I was like, all right, I need to go to my first jam session. I went to my first jam session and I got my butt handed to me so hard. Like I played the first song. I knew the first song. There'll never be another you. I got that one. And then they called the next tune and I was like, all right, it's my turn to leave. And they're like, no, you got to hang, play a couple more tunes with us. And then we played Just Friends. I didn't know Just Friends. And like, I just like, oh, the feeling was so bad. I was much better on my second jam Mm -hmm. session though. That was a catalyzing experience for you. So like, if you were to look back at that whole thing with all of the very um, understanding women in your life. <laughs> if you were to look so back true. at that whole story, like was there a very catalyzed, like was there one of those decisions where you're just like, screw it. Yeah, I'm going to do it. Is Was there one that you can pinpoint and say, this was kind of where it happened? Not just, you know, when you were seven and then you were able to get back into piano because, yeah, and I'm trying to figure out when to have my daughter play. She's four. I think I had the same thing happen when I was five too. I tried to play and I got turned off. And I think seven seven's a magic number. So sorry, ADD. Um, no so is is there a a catalyzing experience that you can look back and and find? Oh man, there there's got to be a few of them because I was always into a lot of different things. So um, um, I would say, huh, I, I I would say, what your your experience? I had your I had something that was um, uh, similar to what you were probably better than I was at jazz when you had that experience. But I have an experience with that. I have an experience with uh, turntablism, with the DJ battles for sure. And then I had an experience on the Madonna tour. Um, I'll just touch briefly on 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 each one just real fast because you brought up the jazz. I was like, oh, yeah, I, I really wanted to become a jazz piano player. I was always into jazz, listening to it. I love the chords. I love the idea of of improvising in the moment and being in the moment and creating in the moment. I went to uh, uh, jazz uh, jazz band auditions in in high school, and the first year that I went, uh, the first time I didn't make it, um, <clears throat> uh, I, I I didn't know what a lead sheet was, so y- y- <laughs> y- I didn't know. I w- so can you imagine like sitting down, and this is the audition, and I'm like, where's the rest of the notes? <laughs> That's basically what I thought. I was like, "What is my left hand supposed to do?" Yeah, what's the left hand supposed to do? I'm like, "It's like well, that's a lead sheet." I'm like, "You just you're supposed to you know make it." I'm like, oh my god, that was the worst. It was the worst experience. I mean, it was catalyzing, but it was the worst feeling. And then I, I, I and after that, I went back to my mom. <laughs> mom, I need jazz lessons. So she signed me up for jazz lessons, and I started really learning um, music theory in a way that I did not learn when I was seven. Okay, so at that time I was like 15. So when I was seven. I wasn't really understanding what it meant, you know, to play a C minor scale versus a C major scale. You know, I didn't know relative majors and minors. I didn't understand that at the time. I didn't even understand really, you know, until I was 15 and I'd already been playing like, you know, I'd do like the recitals, the festivals and all that stuff. And then, you know, I uh, play full pieces and my mom's like, what are you doing? I'm like, this is what the teacher told me to do. I'm like, this is what she told me to do. And I'm playing scales again, right? But that experience, really understanding the theory at that age, oh my gosh, like that is what really, <clears throat> that's that was a catalyst in in terms of being a musician because that, not not just a musician, everything. Because I started understanding at that time, like, oh, that's why it sounds bad when some notes are played against other chords. You know what I mean? Like it didn't compute to me when I was just reading music off of a of um, a, a piece of sheet music, which is what I was doing pretty decently. 
I started understanding the why. You know what I mean? I tell my students this all the time. Like, you need to take piano if you can. You know what I mean? That's a great instrument for you uh, for music production. Because I, I start understanding the why. So I started figuring out songs that I liked. I'd figure out the chords and i figure out the melody. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. I can just do it myself. So then what that led to was my, in my head, was, was if I had something in my head that I could hear, I could figure that out too. Like I could make it real. And it was because of that experience with the, uh, maybe I should just stick to this one experience, but it was with that experience with the, uh, that jazz, I guess you could say that was a catalyst for making me take the jazz lessons. And then that helped me really develop an understanding of music that I think is, was life-changing too, because then that, that is something I use every, every day. You know what I mean? Really, really cool. Yeah, so I'm I'm on this side of the call and I'm like bouncing up in my chair because like that's that's the thing that I try to get a lot of music teachers to, to realize is that like only playing music off the page is like the same thing as pressing play on Spotify. You know, I mean there's it's there's technique involved. You know, you're you're a you have to know how to play the instrument. You have to know how to read the music. But like fully understanding the music, knowing what's going on underneath it, and like living with the music. And if you could, if there was a measure where the music was like smudged, and if you could fake it in the same style and have the theory in there, and then come back, like that's what I try to have my students do. And and it's just so cool to hear you say that. And it's really awesome that you were able to get that at a young age at 15. It took me, I didn't know any theory in high school. It took me until college um, where I was like, oh, shoot, like, I don't know any of this. Like, I had to, to, to learn. And that's why I'm so theory heavy. It's like you have to know all of that so everything makes sense. Because just like reading, that's great. You're, you're making the music. But like that that connection you can make between your, your heart your body and like your 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 brain when you understand the theory and you have the ear for it you can hear it in your head and you can get it out that's such a, a beautiful thing mm-hmm. um so uh, i we, well, i can ask another question that cuz you said on tour with madonna so yeah. this is this is a question that a student gave me um you don't have to say anybody's names and you might not have any answers to this okay. but do you have any funny things so you've you've toured with famous musicians and they doesn't even need to be a famous musician um but are there any funny things that you've seen like musicians do off stage? Like their, their example was like, maybe he saw like Rihanna off stage. Like when she goes to record, she can only record after she's like eating a peanut butter. Pretzel oh, okay. Or something. Like, is there anything like that that you've I seen? I see what you mean. Yeah. So, so just to be clear, I, I have not, I have not toured with a bunch of musicians or a bunch of artists. I've toured with, one <laughs> it's madonna but like that's the one like that like that that touring with an artist was never on my radar at all until i got the gig you didn't you didn't think about that when you were doing karate and piano when you were at nine obviously <laughs> as i was attending business school you know stretching out for my um my anyway i'm gonna stop but no but like um uh, it was just the one. So it it was uh, m- m- the tour with Madonna was the only time I ever toured with an artist. The other times that I uh, did any type of music uh, production for them, it was like Cirque du Soleil. I did a little bit of thing for Rihanna for her loud tour. Like I helped create part of the intro to the show. And it's the music director from that show that would bring me into these. From I'm sorry, from Madonna. We became very good friends. We became very close on the tour, worked a lot together. Uh, and he's just the homie man. Um, but he would also try to get me on some of these other gigs. 
So I did this also, this other thing for um, that ended up getting part of uh, Shakira's uh, latest tour. But actually touring was, was with Madonna. But I can tell you that one thing that you may not know is that, let's say, with her, oh my gosh, I was so nervous when I first met her, <laughs> by the way. And I don't know if a lot of your students know who Madonna is, which is kind of funny. I always ask students, I'm like, you know who Madonna is? Like, you might have heard of her. And some of them are like, no, who's she? I'm like, oh, don't worry about it. Yeah, not a big deal, right? Um, but uh, but she really is... Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, the reason why... What was I saying? Oh, yeah, okay. So, so what's the, what's the, what are some like quirky things? I wouldn't say they're... I wouldn't say they're quirky, but definitely something you may not uh, uh, envision or know, right? Or come to think. Like, I would not have expected that um, before every show, the way she does things is we all would meet in her room, like her her dressing room. It's usually a large dressing room. And the band, I was part of the band, right? So I was like a Johan <laughs> on stage, right? Like a, from Linkin Park, right? That was like the band turntablist type DJ. Um, but I also produced music on that show as a, uh, offstage, but on the show, I was part of the band. So, uh, the band and the dancers, which is a lot of dancers, just, uh, it was just five band members. Um, and then the backup singers, like th this, this particular group and her makeup people, you know, like her close friends, we would all meet, um, right before a show, each show, we had like 85 shows total. And what you do is you, you hold hands in a circle, they call it a prayer circle. And what happens is each each person in that circle has to lead the like the prayer, you know, which is basically just sort of words of uh, you just sort of say things that you're thankful for. Usually, that's usually how it would go. Thankful for, you know, the, like show sort of gratitude for where you're at and why, and talk about. So people tell stories. It was pretty much this, almost the same for most people. That was sort of the the gratitude seemed to be the the thing that sort of sewed all those different stories together. But everybody had to do it at least once, and some, most of the times you would you would actually have to do it. Some people had to do it twice because there was more shows than there were people. So, and she would do it too, and she would always say something uh, like uh, encouraging to everybody. And this is all holding hands. You know, we all hold hands. So um, that's that was a really I thought it was a really cool way to to bring all the stage performers together right before the gig, before going out in front of you know seventy thousand people or fifty five thousand people. You know what I mean? Sometimes in those, sometimes in those prayer circles, I just just one more quick thing here. Sometimes there would be her like friends that would join us in the room, and her friends are like Pharrell or like David Blaine or Bono. You know what I mean? Like you imagine being like, you know, you're I'm holding like imagine like I'm holding hands with Madonna, and then like you know uh, another person in the band or whatever, and you go around the circle. Oh, there's Pharrell. I'm going to do in the circle. You know. Oh, there's you know. There's Bono, and we're all just in, and then they would say something too. Like the celebrity uh, friends of hers would also say something encouraging. So I thought that was really cool. But yeah, there you go. That's super cool. Like, you know, we, we you you watch a show like that, um, or you're you're watching TV or something, and you forget that the people you're watching are people. Mm -hmm. You know, they're they're individuals with their own motivations with their own struggles with their own problems and it's just that's just so cool that she had that touch and you know for somebody who has such a um successful performing career over such a long period of time like there has to be something like that something humanizing like that that is at the core that allows it to be so successful that's 
so cool. Really, really, she really was, I mean, is, you know, she's a really great human being. Like you, I, I was expecting something completely different just because <clears throat> I just thought, you know, biggest pop star in the world, like maybe a diva, you know, like, and although she knew yeah. who she was, it wasn't like, it wasn't anything like that. It wasn't like, you know, she, she would have movie nights. We've been like, I don't know, what's a good example? Serbia. And we're all in the hotel in our own rooms and the tour director, tour, tour manager would come in. Hey guys, uh, M wants to have a, a movie night tonight. Uh, we're all going to meet in the conference, this particular like conference room and hotel um, at 10 o'clock or something, whatever it was. And then we'd all go there and it's the same group that would be in the prayer circle and all that uh, beginning of the show. She would invite everybody. So one time it was like, we watched the Rumble in the Jungle. She was a big Muhammad Ali fan. So she would do that. We just all of us hanging out with her, watching a movie. You know what I mean? When my um, That's so my cool. daughter was born a, a month after the last show of the tour, and she was like, you know, she had a care package of clothes uh, delivered to the my house, you know, and a little note that says, Inferno, congratulations on your new arrival. And we have that framed on my daughter's wall. My daughter never met her, but like uh, it's framed on her wall. You know, she had little baby clothes and like little girl clothes and stuff. It was... It was awesome, man. So you wouldn't, you maybe you wouldn't expect that from somebody uh, as, as, as um, iconic. You know what I mean? But she's, she's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I'm like getting teary eyed yeah. <laughs> over here. Um, so you said that I did not know that you were a, a network network engineer. Yep. Is that what you? Yep. Is that what yep. you're? So like your your rig. Uh, yesterday we we chatted a little bit to try to prepare for this. Uh, this collaboration that we're going to do. Um, and you know, we were both geeking out hard about the nerdiest things. Yes. Like, have you used Bohm MIDI translator yes. before? Oh yeah. Loop back. Yeah. Oh, loop back. And then we were just like, like do- doing the, the nerdiest of yes. things. Um, you know, technology in education, technology just in general, especially, um, in the remote times is so important, but like, how do you, implement technology to solve creative problems because i think that's different i think like using technology is one thing but using technology to solve a problem Mm -hmm. that's unique to you like that's totally different so like how how do you approach that or do you i mean do you even have an approach it's not an approach it's like a uh, way of life (laughs) like technology is it's like it's like the first thing you think that for me anyway the first thing i think of if i need to solve a problem it's like, what kind of technology can I, wh- how can I creatively solve a problem? There's almost always a chance, there's almost, it's almost always going to involve some piece of technology and then it makes it work. So I'm, that's just what it, that's how I, that's how I built my, um, we were talking about Ableton and live looping, you know, performing as a live looper, which is, that's how I got it discovered for the Madonna tour was doing that, like performing as a live looper. Um, but like that was all in, that was a technological uh, solution to what I wanted to do in my head, which was I wanted to perform keys, pads, and turntables, but I needed a way to do it. I found out about Ableton, started doing the research, found about Bohm, started doing Bohm's MIDI translator for you know uh, uh, for anybody that wants to research that. That's a nerd level 11. For anybody that's not me and you. <laughs> Pretty much. I'm surprised. When you said you knew what that was, I was like... <gasps> You know what that is too. It's on right now. It's on my computer right now. It's turned it's on. Running. I don't know why it's, awesome. it's on. It's a, but it's, it's on. in my taskbar right now. But um, but yeah, like like that's always been that that's usually that's always been my approach for 
for trying to solve things. So, so what's really interesting is during the pandemic, that that the the fact that technology the technology existed where I could do my classes uh, remotely. Oh my gosh, this is it's like it's a lifesaver. You know, uh, you know, we in March I closed down my my um, classroom obviously for for COVID, and that was a lot of stress. And I was like, wait a minute, what am I going to do? You know what I mean? DJ gigs all gone. I was still DJing. DJing was actually my primary source of income, even while running mixed major, right? I would do mixed major during the daytime, throughout the week, and then DJ on the weekends. You know what I'm saying? Like, even though I wasn't traveling as much in the last couple of years, which is what I wanted, um, uh, it's it's really, I was really wondering what I was going to do. And I was like, wait, you know, I got to figure out a way to do things virtually, right? And then I found out about, I was going to do Google, um, what was it Google Meet? at the time or Google Hangouts or whatever. And I was, I was like, I, don't know, I can't really do, I was like, I can't do the things I'm trying to, I, I, I initially tried to set it up. I was like, wait a minute, if I wanna like remote control a, 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 a student's computer, if I needed to do that, or uh, I don't know, route sound a certain way, it, like it was so uh, difficult to do. And I went through the whole process of figuring it out. Then I found out about Zoom. So I had basically wasted all this time on that, and then Zoom's like, oh, you can just do everything. It just does everything in the box. So, yeah, that was a very that was like a, a godsend to have something uh, like Zoom. So I was able to take the students. Uh, some of the students stayed with me uh, in virtual. You know, a, a good amount of them dropped off because they didn't know if they were going to be able to do virtual music production uh, classes. You know what I mean? But then I built it up. I've you know I've more than uh, I'm not exactly where I want to be at in terms of enrollment yet. But I mean, I'm definitely you know, up over 150% of what I was before. That's good. You know what I mean? De definitely, like, and it's and it's continuing to grow. And I've gotten the hang of it, you know, like the hang of working in a virtual environment, using other pieces of technology to solve the things that, the, 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 the problems that I run into, even with Zoom, you know? So, like, it's teachers listening, so they're probably familiar with, like, breakout rooms and how you can't communicate between breakout rooms. I still, that thing I showed you the other day, so I found another an app that will allow me to chat, you know, between breakout rooms just in case students need to reach me. You know, I put an iPad and I was like, you know what? I can just log into the Zoom meeting twice. You know, like this is me and then this is my iPad. It's over there, but I'll have my iPad on. So if I ever need to be separated from the group to, to help a student, I just turn my camera on. They can see the side of my face so they don't feel like they're they're by themselves, you know what I mean? So, and I can answer questions yeah. very quickly. I can see what they're doing. <laughs> I can see the chats that they're doing on the iPad. Sometimes I just, hey, I'll be right, I'll be right with you in like a minute. And then be okay. And then I mute myself again, work with my student. Now we're done. Now we leave for the main room. You see what I'm saying? Um, those yeah. types of uh, solutions have all involved technology. Thank, thank goodness. Yeah, right. I know a lot of people when they when they get an idea in, in in your head, like you were saying, all right, I want to be able to, you know, go to my piano and do a live looping and then do this. A lot of people say like, that's yeah, that's great. And then like they just don't have that extra like, OK, then how am I going to do it? You know, mm -hmm. and I, I owe all that to, you know, my my dad was uh, like a big uh, proponent of like figuring things out. He was an electrical engineer mm -hmm. and we were always trying to figure things out together. And uh, that's like when I'm trying, like, same thing. I don't even have to think about it. It's like, oh, there's a problem. 
automatically I'm thinking about, I'm reaching into my damn bag of dongles and yep. adapters <laughs> and figuring out a solution. Um, There's one for... Uh, what was I called? Dongle, dongle man? I forgot dongle, what it was. Uh, dongle, uh, dongle master, actually. Dongle, no. Dongle master. Dongle master. Dongle, oh, can I, have, can I have two dots over the O? Can it be like like an umlaut? Can it be dong, dongle master? <laughs> did you oh, use the gosh. word umlaut in a sentence for real just now? I, I did. I did. Thing. I'm sorry. But there really is only one dongle master. <laughs> there may be many dongle men, but only one dongle master. So that's what I suggest you you, you oh. keep as the name. Oh, I am I am the dongle master. Yeah. The, the um, <laughs> with the umlaut. So <laughs> with the umlaut. So, so umlaut. Um, I have one uh, one last question before we transition to the, the 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 create thing. This is a question that I like to ask. Um, kind of anybody I, I talk to anybody that you know, has had an interesting path. If you had a time machine and you were able to go back and tell like high school or junior high you something, mm. what would it be? Oh man, I feel like that's, the thing is tell me something or just would I have time to convince myself, <laughs> like my old, younger self? Because I could say something all day to my younger self and be like, who is this old bald dude talking to me like, you know, you're not me, you know, but anyway, if I were to go back um, and actually be able to influence my younger self, I can put it that way, um, uh, you, you know, one of the biggest things that I feel like I've learned, um, <clears throat> uh, the, the one of the biggest things that I've learned since being a kid, really, and something that I always try to um, instill in my own kids too, it's really about being, you, you, it's okay to be thinking about what other people think as long as you remain um, confident and and know that what you are and who you are as a person is okay. And, and, and what I mean by that is, for me anyway, and probably for a lot of teenagers at the time, if I was going back to teenage years, you know, I wasn't very, I mean, I, I was doing a lot of cool things, I thought, you know what I mean? But it wasn't, I never really had that self-confidence like i was always worried about what other people thought always you know what i mean like and it yeah. and it's like I, I i wasn't really i feel like i didn't really become truly comfortable like i could just walk into a room talk to anybody because who were they you know like you know i i, I didn't feel like I, I i could never do that when i was a kid i was too shy you know what i mean like uh i i didn't feel confident enough in myself until i want to say in the last maybe let's say i'm 45 now started really figuring that out maybe in the last 10 years <laughs> like really being fully fully you know confident um in in being okay with who I am as a person you know what i mean so if i were to go back um i would probably i would probably try to convince my younger self that i shouldn't be nervous ever talking to like anybody or like interacting with people or performing with people it's okay to mess up as long as you learn you know stuff like that like really being okay uh convincing myself to be okay with myself that's the thing i would try to do because i think that's one of the most important things and if if if, if the, the sooner people get that i feel like the sooner then they they can just really shine with whatever it is that they're trying to do i guess that would be it yeah that's that was you know that would be mine almost mm -hmm. too i was very insecure as a kid but i'm also thinking now that i'm hearing you say it because i'm always thinking you know that's my answer yeah. <laughs> and hearing you say it is there? there's a possibility. I don't know if this is a thing, but, you know, you have the struggle 
of being shy and you have the struggle of being insecure, there might be something to that also resulting in your ability to, you know, be able to put your nose to the grindstone and to be able to work and develop rigor. And then like, so true. you know, have, I don't know. I don't know. It could be um, like a Heisenberg uncertainty principle kind of thing where like you're in changing that, you know, you could change who you are, but you know, it's happened to me only in the last few years as well, where I feel comfortable. Like I walk in a room, I know that I'm me. I can mm-hmm. be me, but maybe so true, the man. me that I am would have been different if, if I would yeah. have had that ability in high school. That's so true, man. So weird. Yeah. yeah no, that's, man. <laughs> that's definitely, that's definitely, you know what? And it, it, we're all kind of a product of, uh, you know, our past experiences and, you know, something, some things in life, you need to be humbled. You have to be. So it's good. Yeah, you're right, honestly. Think about it. It's good to be. It's good to go through that stuff. It's good. You better go through, like, you need to be embarrassed at some points, or you need to be nervous. You need to figure out how to how to overcome that. As long as it, don't, it, it doesn't become a something later in life that, you know, when you're, if you're 45 and, you know what I mean, like 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 me, and it's like, all right, well, thank, I'm thankful to figure certain things out. You know what I mean? But that's so true. Maybe it is all, it's all part of the story, you know, and- Maybe you shouldn't change anything. You just sort of like, so I would go, so, okay, I look back on it, then I'd say, okay, well, yeah, that's true. If I'd gone back and ch- told my younger self what a lead sheet was before that uh, jazz audition. <laughs> that's yeah, it, that's Maybe it. that's it. But then again, if I had done that, I don't know. Maybe I wouldn't have uh, had that epiphany and worked so hard to, you know, to, 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 Butterfly to, to try to understand. Yeah. Learning theory at 15. Let's just not travel back in time, yeah. man. We all saw what happened in Avengers. Yeah, no, it's man. a bad yeah. idea. Yeah. It's a bad idea. <laughs> We've seen Back to the Future 2. Dark. Um, dark is the best show, by the way, ever on TV. Sorry. Um, I don't know if you've seen Dark. That. I've never seen Netflix. Dark. Oh, time travel. That. You got to. Uh, that's the, it's the, it's the greatest uh, anything having to do with time travel. And in my opinion, it's like the best sci-fi ever, like in my opinion. So. You got to check that out. But yeah, time travel. This is travel. me typing it down. Are you Dark. ready? Here, hold on. I'm going to put my Wait, mic to it's my... D, D. You get a pen. It's D, D. A, R, K. Did you... K? K. D, A, R, K. Any umlauts? Oh, it's all or German. That, that's that's it's it? It's all German. Is umlaut German? <laughs> like, or is that a different language? What is that? I think, I think it's... I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, it's... It could a, be German. It's literally I don't know how to spell German. it. You just read the subtitles. It's so good. Oh my gosh. So good. But yeah, don't travel back in time because, you know, time travel, dangerous. Bad things. Yeah. Um, so what we're going to do next is, um, so as Eric stated before, he is um, he was an early adopter of Ableton, and that is his DAW de jure. So a DAW is a digital audio workstation. It's a program you you interact with music with. So you, you write the music there. You can mix music. You can master music. You can record music. Um uh, so you've been how long have you been using Ableton? Uh, since 2006, 2006. Okay. So 14, um, 14 I've, years. I've used Ableton like it is not my dodger. It should be my dodger. It's cuz it's it's like so flexible, but um I've used it maybe like 5 times. So what we're going to do is we are going to create the theme music to the podcast on Ableton. We're going to do it in a um, kind of like a taking turns thing. So like one person's going to make a track, then the other person's going to make a track. Then one person's going to tweak or something, then the other person's going to make a track. And that's how we're going to go. We're going to do it on, um, we're going to record it 
and then I'm not going to edit anything. We're just going to put it on YouTube kind of as, as, as it goes, just to see the process. And then um, the product, you've already heard, it was the intro music. So that's gonna that's kind of interesting because that's what you did with your your uh, your college time class. travel. Man. Wow, time travel. Full, circle. full circle. Yeah, thank you so much, yeah, Eric, uh, for um, being the first guest in this podcast. Is there anything we should be looking for? Is there any way for that we can um, connect with you, or what's what's next with Mix Major? Can we? As music teachers, is there something that we can learn from you? Like, how, how can we contact you? Definitely, yeah. So uh, Mixed Major is, uh, I'm still running my classes, um, you know, my virtual classes. I'm hoping to open up uh, on a limited basis uh, for in-person classes within the next month or so. It's only a classroom of um, uh, 10 workstations, so I'm going to remove five. Um, so if anybody wants to buy five laptops, I'm just kidding. I'm going to keep those. But, um, but yeah, I'm going to open those up uh, fairly soon. But if you want to um, uh, check out more information on Mix Major, it's www.mix-major.com. So mix-major.com, not mixmajor.com. Okay. So um, and if you want to reach me, um, yeah, just uh, just you can just email me. Uh, you can contact me through the site, um, Eric at mix-major.com. My social security number is. One th- I'm just kidding. But um, yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> But yeah, that's uh, if you guys uh, if you want to get more information on me, you know, I, I was um, I, I also do uh, if you want to check them out, I, I do some tutorial videos. I've actually had them on pause for a while, but I started off doing. It's a similar platform to Soundtrap, which is what you do, which is BandLab. So I did um, some tutorials there. Uh, so if you want to check out um, just my philosophy to teaching, in speci- specifically to teaching kids how to create music of their own. You might want to go check that out. Those are completely free. Just go there to um, youtube.com slash mixmajorconnect. So mixmajorconnect, all one word. But you can find that also on the on my website, mix-major.com. So if you want some tips there and a way to get you started, that'll be a good way to, uh, to do it. <laughs>